Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, church. How are you feeling today? want to welcome everyone here for the first, if you're joining us for the first time here at the Greenwood campus or any one of our campuses, Garfield Park, Banta, Franklin, or if you're tuning in for the first time on our online campus somewhere across the country or across the world, we want to welcome you. Can we give it up for all of our first time guests today? Welcome to Emmanuel. And I want to say welcome to everyone who is a returning uh, person. I never say welcome to you. So if you're back and you regularly attend, we want to welcome you back as well. We're in a series right now called After God's Heart. And we've been talking about this idea that God has created each and every one of us to be seekers, to seek things in our life. And we do seek things in our life. We seek you know, advancement in our careers, we seek college degrees, we seek to have children, we seek acceptance, we seek popularity, we seek to look good physically, we seek a lot of things in our lives. Jesus said this about seeking in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all other seeking, above everything else that you're, he knows that you're going to seek things in your life. But before you seek anything else, I want you to seek the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? We've talked about this many, many times. It's important to understand this because this was central to Jesus' message. The kingdom of God was the place where God was. The kingdom of God was the place where God was doing things and acting. He gave us this prayer to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. So the kingdom of God is the, is the place or the realm where God's will is being executed. And he invites us to be part of bringing about that will on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God is God's presence. It's God's activity. It's where God gets what God wants. And it's in that kingdom that we find as human beings the life that we were designed to live. A life of joy and peace and meaning and purpose and partnership and cooperation with God to bring about good things in this world. But what we've said in the series so far is that there's not many people living in the kingdom. Jesus said, wide is the way that leads to destruction. And many go down that path. And narrow is the path that leads to life and only a few find it. I've been asking you this question. I've been asking myself this question for many, many years. What if I was one of the few? What if I was one of the few people, what if you were one of the few people who decided to go down the narrow path, to enter into the narrow gate and find the kingdom? If you decided to do that, if I decided to seek the kingdom of God, who would we follow besides Jesus? Of course, he's our example, but is there anybody else in the Bible that we can look to as an example of someone who sought the kingdom or lived with God or walked with God and experienced life the way it was supposed to be lived? And what we've said is, yes, there is. One of those people, is, his name is David. This is what the Bible says about King David in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. What does it mean to have a heart 
after God. It means that your internal being, your inward being, your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, your appetites, your choices are aligned with God's mind, his thoughts, his desires, his appetites, his will. Imagine that. Imagine having a heart that was synced up with God's. Imagine at the end of your life, someone would say, she was a woman of God. He was a man of, after God's own heart. Mom's heart was aligned with God's. Dad's heart was aligned with God's. Wow. And that, to say that a person's heart is after God's is to say the same thing as this person sought the kingdom of God. They lived in the kingdom of God. And David did that. And so all we wanted to do in this series is kind of study his life a little bit and figure out how did he align his heart with God's heart. One of my favorite things that David wrote in Psalm 16, verse 8, says this, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. We could use some of that today. We can use some, some steadiness in life in our culture today. Yes, the world has gone crazy, it seems. We can use a life, an unshakable life. David says, you know what? Because I have set God before myself every single day, because he's at my right hand, you know, what does it mean when the Bible says that something is, is or someone is at your right hand? The Bible speaks about that of Jesus, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. You know what that means? It simply means that Jesus is with God. That's it. Jesus is with the Father. So David is saying, Jesus, God, is with me. He is at my right hand. And because he's with me, I will not be shaken. Doesn't that remind you of a verse in Psalm 23? The famous, you know, Psalm of David, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's the same thing as saying God is at my right hand. David made a decision to live and walk through this life with God. How did he do it? Well, that's what we've been studying. In week number one, we said he was willing to obey. Last week, we said basically he made this decision to please God rather than please man. Saul made the other decision. He, was, he feared the people and over fearing God, and he was removed as king. And so today, what I want to do is talk a little bit more about how is it that David was able to align his heart with God's heart. So if you have your pen there, let's jump in and take some notes today. The reason that David had a heart after God, or another reason David had a heart after God, was because David was perfect. David never sinned. He did everything that God wanted every single day of his life and never messed up one time. Now, if you believe that, I'll tell you another one, okay? No, this is not true. We're going to strike that out. If you know anything about the Bible, David was extremely imperfect. He was the opposite. He, he goofed up in some major ways. I don't even have time to talk about how many, how many ways. But I want to talk to you today about one of the major ways that David fumbled, the way when he dropped the ball, when he messed up, and it had tremendous consequences in his life. David's son Solomon wrote these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. You have to get this. This is so important. There is not a single person on this planet who is in every situation, always does the right thing, and is always good. We are born into this world broken people. We are selfish, self-centered, and we are going to prefer ourselves over other, pe other people. That makes parenting hard. That makes marriage hard. That makes everything hard <laughs> because we are sinful, broken people. Mother Teresa wasn't perfect. Billy Graham wasn't perfect. I don't know. Put anybody on the table other than Jesus, and they are going to blow it. They are going to sin because we are all 
sinners. So how is it the Bible could say that David had a heart after God and he was also a really terrible sinner? How do you reconcile those two things? That's what we're going to talk about today. One day, David got up from a nap. He's the king of Israel, okay? So Saul is off the scene. We've been talking about Saul. God removed Saul. Now he's been reinstated, uh, uh, I think that's the word, uh, as the king. And, and he gets up from a nap, and uh, he's walking around on the roof. Some of you know the story. Uh, and he's just kind of overlooking the city, and he notices, uh, not, not too far off, that there is a woman taking a bath. And uh, it's, that strikes me as odd that he would be able to see a woman from the top of his roof taking a bath. I mean, how, how, what was she bathing on the, her roof? I don't know. Maybe he saw her through the window. I'm not sure. I wasn't there. You weren't there. What we do know is that he can see her and she's naked. Okay? That's what we know. That's what the text says. So he begins to, because he's a normal guy, he begins to lust after this naked woman that he sees bathing uh, from, from a distance. And so he takes some of his guys, he says, hey, go find out who she is. So they run over there and, and, and questions her, and she must have put a robe on or something. Uh, and, and they find out that this is, her name is, you know her name, what's her name? Bathsheba. They come running back to David, say, oh, man, this is, uh, this is uh, Ilya, Iliam's daughter, uh, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Now, as soon as David hears that this lady is the wife of Uriah, he should have snapped out of his lustful trance, okay? Because Uriah was one of David's top 30 military men. David had this group of 30, okay? Uriah was a beast on the battlefield. And they were currently, when this is all going down, David's walking on, there's a battle going on against the Ammonites. So Uriah is out there fighting for the kingdom, fighting for David. And his men come back and say, this is David's wife. I mean, this is Uriah's wife. David should have been like, oh man, I can't do that to my boy. I can't sleep with my boy's wife. That's my boy. But man, when you're caught up in a lustful trance, you do dumb things. Like, have you ever, many of you have been there, I don't know, because it's just a human thing. Like, when, when, you're, when your body and your hormones and the dopamine and the endorphins are going, like, you don't think straight. So, instead of respecting his buddy Uriah, he just sends some messengers to go get Bathsheba and watch what happens. Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to the palace. How do you say no to the king, right? Even if you're married. And he slept with her. Quickie, one night stand, whatever you want to call it. He got horny, he lusted, they slept together. Okay? This is just how it happens. We could talk about it. This is reality, okay? Uh, and so he thinks that, oh man, that was pretty good. And so she goes home, and you know, and then David kind of moves on with his life. Then he gets a call. Guess who's on the other line? Bathsheba. A couple days later. Uh, Mr. King, I'm pregnant. Oh, man. That was just supposed to be a real quickie thing, like just kind of like a real in the moment thing. And, and you're pregnant? Oh. It's interesting. Robbie Zacharias said this. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. It costs you more than you want to pay and keeps you longer than you want to stay. So don't be fooled, especially sexual sin. And so... David has to go into this cover-up mode. What are we going to do now? You weren't supposed to get pregnant. So he comes up with a plan. It's a pretty good one. He calls Uriah off the battlefield 
And he's like, if I could just get him off the battlefield and he can go sleep with uh, Bathsheba and then we can call the baby theirs and dodge a bullet. So he gets right off the battlefield and tells him to go home and relax and take a day off and, and, and sleep with his wife. And, but Uriah has too much integrity. Uriah says, how can I go home and enjoy the pleasures of my home and my wife when I've got my men on the battlefield fighting the Ammonites? So he refuses to sleep and go home with his wife and go home. Next night, David finds out that Uriah doesn't go home, so he, t- he t- gets him into the palace and he gets him drunk. He thinks, if I could just get this guy drunk, you know, and then, then maybe he'll go home and have sex with his wife and, 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 and whew, it'll all be over. So he gets Uriah drunk, but Uriah still has too much integrity. He has too much honor. He says, how can, I, how can I go home and enjoy the pleasures of my home and my wife? And Well, I've got men on the battlefield, and so he doesn't do it. And so David has to come up with plan B. What's plan B look like? Oh, plan B is terrible. Plan B is murder. Watch what happens. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, his top military commander, and gave it to Uriah to deliver it to Joab. This is what the letter said. This is David's word. This is the words of a man after God's own heart. We're gonna try to figure out and reconcile how that works, but for now, this is where he's at, okay? This is what the letter said. Station Uriah, Joab, on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back that he will be killed. Pull the army back, leave him out there, hang him out to dry. So that he'll be killed. So Joab follows the orders that David gives him, pushes Uriah up to the fiercest part of the battle. Right when it gets hot, they pull back. Not only does Uriah get killed, but several other Israelite soldiers die as well. There's always collateral damage to our sin, especially sexual sin. So, seems like it's all good now. Uriah's out of the picture. David calls Bathsheba, makes Bathsheba his wife. She comes to live with him. They have the baby. Gosh, glad I dodged that bullet. And everything seems to be just fine with only one little problem. God watched the whole thing happen. All the details of our lives, all the details of your life, all the details of David's life are in plain sight of God this is what God said. This is what the last verse of chapter 11 says. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. I would think so. Adultery, murder. <laughs> These things kind of upset God. Do you, do you agree? God's like, we are not going to, my king is not going to get away with this. This is my man. This is the guy who was willing to do everything I said. This is the guy who, who's willing to please me over man. This is the guy who's willing to obey I can't, I can't let this go. So God intervenes and he sends a guy named Nathan to visit David. Nathan gets to David, chapter 12. This is chapter 11, chapter 12 starts out like this. Nathan comes and says, David, I have a message for you. I'm gonna tell you a story. There's a rich guy. He's got all this sheep and all these you know, wonderful, beautiful animals and, and he's just living, living life up and there's also this poor guy over here and all the poor guy has is one little ewe lamb. One, and he loves this little baby ewe lamb and he takes care of it, even treats it like a little daughter and kisses it and caresses it. One day the rich man has a guest visit, visit him and the rich man wants to put on a feast and, and, and for, for his guest and so instead of taking one of the sheep from his, from his uh, collection, he goes over and he takes the sheep from the, the one little baby sheep, the one, little, the one that he loves, takes this little ewe lamb, slaughters it, cooks it, and feeds it to his guest. David, when he hears this story, he's like, 
that's unbelievable. Who is this guy? He deserves to die. And if we don't kill him, he needs to pay back four sheep for the one that he took from the, from the poor man. And Nathan looks at David and says these words. You are that man. And all of a sudden it hits David. This message is from God. God has spoken to Nathan. Nathan has spoken to him. He is the man that took the one little ewe lamb from the poor man and slaughtered it. He is the one who took Bathsheba from Uriah and murdered, and murdered him. And he gets all kinds of convicted and hit, hits him in the heart. And he says these words to Nathan. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, it's not perfection or sinlessness that makes us a man or a woman after God's heart. It's what we do after we mess up. It's actually our response that dictates whether or not we are a woman of God or a man of God. It's not, there's not a single person on earth who always does good and never sins. So drop that idea, okay? Just drop that idea. No one is gonna be holy or 100% sinless. You gotta get that out of your mind. It's what we do after we sin that matters. Let me ask you a question today. What do you do when you come face to face with sin, with your sin? Our tendency is to deny or minimize or justify or compare. I'm not as bad as this person. And our tendency is to, to, to just back away from it or not admit it. Or God's looking for a man or a woman and say, oh my gosh, I'm the man. I'm that, that's me. I'm guilty. And that's what made David a man after God's own heart. It was his response after he was confronted with his sin. He didn't deny it. He didn't minimize it. How do you respond? How do I respond? I like this statement, you know, that, that David confessed his sin. If we can go back to the sentence here, I have sinned against the Lord. But, but I don't like it because it doesn't really capture David's emotional state. It doesn't really uh, give us a picture of what it looks like to confess our sins. And I'm so thankful that later on, David would actually take a pen out and he would write a poem. He would write a song. And that song is recorded in the book of, in the book of Psalms, chapter 51. And in the book of Psalm 51, we read this song that David wrote that really gives us an idea of what this statement means. I have sinned against the Lord, Psalm 51. In the introduction of Psalm 51, if you have a Bible, you don't have to turn there, but later on today you can look at it. It's actually not a Bible verse, but there's an introduction to Psalm 51, and then verse one starts here. This is what the introduction says. This is from David, right? For the choir director, a Psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So that's the context of what we're about to look at in Psalm 51. We're going to look at five things. I believe there are five different aspects of what it looks like to have a repentant heart or to confess your sins to God. And this is what really makes you a woman after God's own heart or a man after God's heart. The first one is this. There's a request for mercy. In verse 1 of Psalm 51, we see David asking God, pleading with God 
for mercy. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is simply not getting what you deserve. What did David say when, when Nathan told him that story about the, the rich man who took the poor, lamb's lamb, uh, the poor man's lamb? He said, that man deserves to die. David knew, once he, once he came to grips with the, the fact that he was the man, that he took Bathsheba, that he killed Uriah, he deserved death. So what does he do in verse one? Look what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Do not give me what I deserve. I deserve the death penalty for committing adultery and shedding innocent blood. Please withhold your judgment. This is a repentant heart. This is what it looks like to have a heart after God. God, I need your mercy every day. If you should execute judgment on me, I have no hope. Have mercy on my soul. Secondly, there's an appeal for cleansing. God, would you, would you wash me? Would you take this stain out of my, my soul? Would you cleanse my life? Would you Listen, listen to, the, to the last part of verse 1 and verse 2, and then we'll look at verse 7. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. See, sin stains the soul. It's like chocolate cake on a white shirt. It's like, oh, what am I going to do now? Or if you have a dog who's running around in the yard in the mud, and he comes in and he jumps on you, and now your shirt is just full of mud and maybe some other stuff, but blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean of my guilt. Purify me of my sin. Look at verse seven with me. He continues, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. What does it look like to have a repentant heart? What does it look like to have a heart after God's? It's, it's this, this desire for, for mercy and this desire for cleansing. Fast forward to the New Testament, because this is in the Old Testament. Now we have Jesus, and Jesus has died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. John, the apostle, the one that was super close to Jesus, the one who would lean on Jesus at dinner, this is what he wrote. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not just about forgiveness, it's about being washed. When you wash a stain out of a blouse or a shirt, it's not there anymore. One of the things I love about being a Christ follower is the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. I know I'm forgiven, that's awesome but I also know that he washes my soul, washes the stain of the sin out. That's what it looks like to come back to God. Have mercy on me, God, wash me. Then there's this third aspect. There's this acknowledgement of sin. When David says to, to Nathan, I've sinned against God, he's, he's owning it. We don't live in a culture today that likes to own things. We like to blame people, don't we, yes? It's not my fault. Well, she did it. He did it. They made me do it. It's not my fault. It's their fault. That's our culture today. But a person who has a heart after God doesn't do that. They don't blame chef. They say, Lord, it's me. It's not my brother. It's not my mother. It's not my sister. It's me that, uh, that is standing in the need of prayer and forgiveness. Listen to what David says. For I recognize my rebellion. I'm the one who committed adultery. I'm the one who committed murder. 
I am not pointing the finger at anybody. This is my doing. It haunts me day and night what I've done. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil. When's the last time you said that to God? I have done what is evil in your sight. I have broken your laws. He continues and he says this. You will be proved right when you say uh, what, what you say. And, against, uh, and your judgment against me is just. It's, it's, it's as if David is, is, is taking sides with God. In fact, there's a guy named Larry Richard. He, Richards. He's a, a Catholic priest. I love what he says about confession of sin. He says, confessing is agreeing with God that a particular act is a sin and thus taking sides with God against yourself. This is what David is doing. God, you are proved right when you execute judgment on me. What I have done is wrong. I'm taking, listen, watch this, ready? I'm taking up sides with you against me. Like I agree with you that my behavior was way out of line and I'm gonna own it and I'm gonna acknowledge it. It was wrong, it was evil in your sight. This is what it looks like to have a heart after God. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being sinless. It's about your response after you screw up that determines what path you're gonna go down. There's an acknowledgement of sin. You take responsibility for it. And then fourthly, pretense disappears. What is pretense? Pretense is pretending. <clears throat> it's, not, it's, it's this, you know, this, this tendency to downplay or, <clears throat> or justify or fake or wear a mask or try to appear more godly than you are. If you've been around here a while or you've been watching online for a while, you know that one of the things that I try to do as your pastor is I try to tell you the truth about myself to say, look, I, blow, I blew this, I screwed it up, and, um, but I'm trying. Will you try with me? Why do I do that? Because I already know that God sees it all. So why do I have to pretend to you? <laughs> like if I sin, God has already seen it. So why cover it up to you or act more spiritual than I really am? I'm not very spiritual. The other day, the other day we were at Liberty dropping my son off, which is amazing. Drop your first kid off to college. And, and there's a little roundabout on the campus at, at Liberty. And you know, I love roundabouts. I just love them. Uh, I, sometimes I just drive in circles because I love them so much. One of my convictions, I could be wrong on this. Some of you are going to look it up and Google it and you'll email me later. I know some of you because you, 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 you like to check me on stuff. That's good. I need checked. But it's my opinion that it, when you're coming up to a roundabout, <clears throat> you should yield. You should yield because there's a, a yield sign right there. I don't know if anybody has seen it before. Everybody has a yield sign. So yielding means that you pump the brakes and you slow down. You, if there's a guy in front of you that's in the circle or two guys in front of you that are in the circle, it doesn't mean that you hit the gas and you blow and you get on their bumper and so everybody else has to stop, right? That's just my conviction. So I'm in the position right now where there's a couple people in the circle and I have to, I have to actually stop. But I noticed there's, there's a third car that's not in the circle yet, and I notice what he's gonna do. He's gonna hit the gas. So uh, I said, well, that's not, I'm not gonna let that happen. So, uh, <laughs> so the two cars who are in the circle pass me, because they have the right of way, but the third guy who speeds up and gets in the circle, I gently pull out in front of him, <laughs> as, I, as is right, and righteous and godly. <laughs> and so, 
And so he, you know, lays on the horn and he just shoots me the bird, right? Right in my face. And he's so mad. And I, I kind of enjoyed it. I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> it wasn't right. I shouldn't have done that. He was angry and I liked it. Uh, I, so, so, so I, I'm, I'm messed up. Like I, there's something wrong with me, but I'm willing to say that to you because I need to figure that out. I need to, why, why does that bother me so much? I don't know. I need to be patient. I need to be loving. I need to be kind. Here's my point. My point is, is that just drop the pretense. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. I'm, in, I'm on a journey. You're on a journey. Let's try together. That's what it looks like to be a woman after God, a man after God. The pretending stops. I love what David says. Watch. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and my sin and in sin did my mother conceive me. He goes all the back, all the way back to his, the day he was born. I love this part. Watch. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward me. Be honest in your soul and teach me wisdom in the secret heart. When, when a person is honest about what's really going on inside their soul, God says, we've, we've got a guy, we've got a girl that we can work with here because they're not gonna try to put on any type of mask or try to appear to be something that's, that's not true. The pretense disappears. Let's look at this last one, number five. When a, when a person responds correctly after they're being confronted with their sin, there's a desire to change. There is this there's this, I don't know, urge to say, I cannot stay here. I have committed adultery. I have done this. I have committed murder. I have, by the way, if you say, man, I can't even relate to this because I'm never going to commit murder. Okay, but what did Jesus say about anger? Didn't Jesus say, if you're angry, you've already committed murder? Oh. Didn't Jesus say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery? Like, if you really look at what Jesus said, like, we're all murderers and adulterers, right? Yes? Yes? So we, this is me. This is you. This is us. This is David. Like, we're in this spot. And God, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to move out of this pig pen. I want to live in paths of righteousness for your namesake. I want to, I want to seek to do the, good, the right thing and the good thing. I want to obey you, God. Listen to, what, listen to what David says in Psalm 51. Create and listen to the desire. All of this is captured in that little statement in 2 Samuel, I confess my sins to God. I, I've sinned. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Loyal to who? Loyal to the Father. Loyal to God. I want to be willing to obey in every area of my life. Get me back to that space where I was loyal to you. Do not banish me from the presence, from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. In the New Testament, we would say, Holy Spirit, I am sorry that I've grieved you. I want you to lead my life again. I want to yield my spirit to you every single day. And then David continues and he says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey God, would you work in my heart and give me the desire to want to do what you want me to do? See, when you, when you, when you respond correctly to your sin, you don't want to stay in it. You want to move out of it. Change my heart. Give me new desires. 
Give me the passion to get out of this, this mess that I'm in. Isn't this the prodigal son? If you know what Jesus taught in Luke 15, this is the prodigal. He's in the, he's in the filth. He's in the mire. He's in the mud. He's, he's being tempted to eat the pig's food, right? And what does he do? He comes to his senses and he's like, what am I doing here? I, he gets up and he goes back to his father. He says, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I just want to be a hired servant. There is a desire to change. What have I said today? Here, here's, here, let me wrap this up really quick. Being a woman after God or having a heart synced up with God or a man whose heart is synced up with God is not about perfection. It is not about being sinless. It's about what you do after you sin. It's about having a repentant heart. What is that? Let's look at verse 17. Psalm 51. Again, this is David. After he's committed adultery, after he's committed murder, God, the sacrifice that you desire is a broken heart, a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. David knew something about God. I hope all of us can, can come to know. As, 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 as much as we know that gravity works or, or some other rule uh, uh, in nature, that we would know this is how God works. Listen, if you come to God after you've sinned and you're honest about what happened and you're sorry and you're broken about what happened and you're repentant, meaning, God, I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to turn back to you, whether it is sexual sin or anger or jealousy or greed or whatever the sin is. I don't want to stay there. I want to come back to you. God cannot reject you. David knew that about God. That God, when, when you come to God with that posture, with a humble, broken heart, his arms automatically do this. It's, a, it's like it's an impossibility for God to, to say, oh, you, well, you have to do penance and you have to, you know, you, you can't just, you, well, we gotta, you're going to have to listen to 55 sermons and you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to start tithing. God says, no, come, come. Isn't that what the father in the prodigal son story did? The father ran to his son, opened up his arms, and when he got to his son, he grabbed hold of him and he kissed him. And he put a robe around him, he put shoes on his feet, he put a ring on his finger, and he threw a party for this son that was rotten and took all of his inheritance and spit in his father's face. But his heart had changed. God you can say it this way, God is a, a sucker for repentance, if the repentance is true. He cannot resist you. David knew that. This is important because some of you may be thinking today, as I have in the past, I've gone too far. There's no way God will have me back. I've done this and this and this and this. Listen. If anybody had ever gone too far, it was David. Adultery, deception, murder. If anybody had the right to say, there's no way I can go back to God, I have gone too far, it was David. Instead, he says, God, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. You can keep coming back to the Father if you have 
an honest, broken heart. I live on this principle right here because as a pastor, um, you could call me a professional Christian. <laughs> it's my job to know this book. I know this book. I know what it says about all the sins, and I know what it says the consequences are, and I know what Jesus said about it. I know what Paul said about it. I know what Peter said about it, and I could preach it about it, and yes, guess what? I still sin. So where do you go with that? Right here. God, even though I know better, even though I should love my neighbor as myself when I'm going into a roundabout, <laughs> I can't do it. Would you, would you please forgive me? Oh. And every single time, God opens up his arms. Now, does that give us a, a license to abuse grace? Not if you truly understand God's grace. You don't want to trample on that. You don't want to abuse that. Remember what I said. A person whose heart is after God's has a desire to change. I don't want to stay there. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to cause people to flip me off. I want to bring the kingdom to people. I want people to find peace and joy in life. I don't want to be the cause of their anger. God, help me. Help me to change. So here's my question I want to leave with you today. When confronted with your sin, how do you respond? How will you respond moving into the future? Because it's not about being perfect. Nobody's perfect. It's not about being sinless. Nobody's sinless. It's about what you do after you sin. You know, I'm so thankful that, <clears throat> that God has given us this thing called communions. And many of you have grabbed a communion cup on the way in. Because communion is a, is a way to, to, to repent. Communion is a, is a, a strategy, it's a, a practice, it's a ritual that Jesus gave us to help us remember to come back to God. In fact, Jesus said, every time that you eat or drink this bread and this, drink this juice, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. You declare the gospel, you, you declare forgiveness is available. And, and he said that when you eat and drink this bread in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is quoting Jesus. He says, when you do this, I want you to reflect upon your heart. I want you to examine your heart to see if, the, if you've gone wrong. And, and if you see anything inside your heart that's wrong, now's the time to confess it and get it right. And, and as you drink and as you eat the bread, confess your sins. Ask for mercy. Ask God to cleanse your heart. Acknowledge your sin. Own the sin. Let all the pretense fall away. And tell God that you desire to be be a different person. You desire to him to live in you and through you and to demonstrate the, the fruit of the spirit and to be light and salt to the world. That's what communion's about. So if you're sitting here today, and this was my hope and my prayer that, that God, maybe through me, is speaking to you about some sin issue in your life, whatever it is, I don't know. Like Nathan spoke to David, that you would say, I'm the woman. I'm the man. My hope is that you, that you would get to that point because that's where I'm at. It's like, I'm the man. And, and as I drink this juice and I eat this bread, I, I, I'm asking you to wash me. I'm asking you to cleanse me. I'm asking you to restore me, blot the stain of my sin out of my soul. Give me a desire to change. Give me a heart that's willing to obey. Would you join me and take communion. Now this is for believers. If you're not a believer today, I would ask you to sit this part out. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to, I'll talk to you in just, just a few moments. But communion is meant for children of God, for the family of God.
to get right with God, to remember the mercy and grace of God. So would you grab this right now? And it's two-sided, it's pretty simple to, to figure out. On the top side, there's a, there's a little wafer there. Go ahead and grab that. I wanna, I wanna share with you what Jesus said. Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, he took the bread and he said, this bread represents my body, it was broken for you so that you could be forgiven. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said to the, to the disciples, he said, this cup represents a new covenant between God and man that's been sealed and by blood, my blood. I want you to drink this in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the amazing grace, the compassion, your unfailing love that has been demonstrated to us through Christ, his death and resurrection on the cross. Thank you that by faith in him, we can be reconciled, we can be cleansed, we can be forgiven. We can come back to you every single time we blow it. In the next few moments as we worship, receive our praise. Answer our call, our cry, our request for mercy and grace. Help us to change, to become the men and women you created us to be. May this song, may this worship bring honor to you. Answer our prayers as we call out to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can remain standing just as we wrap up today. Maybe today is the day that one of you, five of you, ten of you decide to step into the kingdom of God, to accept the gracious gift of forgiveness in Christ. He died for you on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sin. He came back to life three days later, proving that he was the son of God, proving that death and the penalty of sin could not hold him down, that the grave could not hold him down. And he did that because he loves you. He gave his life for you to be in fellowship with you. And if you reach out to him in faith today and ask him to forgive your sins, he will answer that prayer and you'll become his child, his son or his daughter today. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. You can take these words, make them your own, craft your own prayer to God and express your faith to him. And today, today you'll be forgiven of your sins and you'll become a child of God. If you feel led to do that right now, would you just close your eyes and bow your head, reach out in faith and say this to God. Dear God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place for my sin, to pay the penalty I could not pay, to pay the debt I could not pay. Jesus, would you wash me today? Cleanse my heart, 
Remove the guilt, the shame. Fill me with your presence, your joy. Fill me with your peace. And from this day forward, help me to have a heart after yours. To come back to you every single time I blow it. To receive your grace, to receive your strength. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Can we give God glory, church, for what he's doing? Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to put a gift in your hand, whether you're here at Greenwood or one of our other campuses or you're watching online. It's our saved box. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Inside this box, there is a copy of a New Testament. There's a cup, a little mug from us to you, and some instructions on how to get involved in our church, small groups, baptism, serving opportunities. If you just prayed that prayer, we'd love for you to text the word SAVE to 65248. The number should be there down below me if you're watching online on the screens at one of our campuses. We'll put one of these in the mail and send it right to you. Can we give God glory one more time, church? Amen. Next week, we're going to wrap up this series, After God's Heart. You're not going to want to miss it. I want to encourage you to invite your friends. Uh, we'll make space here. We'll figure things out with the social distancing, uh, but it's going to be a fantastic message. At this time, we're going to hand things off to all of our local teams. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.